good to see you folks this morning. I was, uh, I was listening to people singing and, and the, the words of the song, and it was good this morning. It was good worship this morning. I appreciate the, the team doing that, and um, they would admit this. Even though they're not perfect and things were a struggle at times, it still was good, and it was sweet and pleasing to God. So thank you, worship team. I appreciate that. Well, we're still in the book of Galatians, and we're still working our way through. And uh, yes, it does say Hebrews there, but we're, we're just going to take a short jaunt, and then we'll get back to Galatians chapter 3. We are going to finish Galatians 3 this week, so I committed to that, so we'll try to work through that. But hopefully, you've been reading along, and if you've been with us, you know that we've been working through it, um, chapter 1, and... Paul is writing, right, to the church, not a, a church in Galatia. There's no such thing. Galatia is an area. I told you to think like a, a county, a, a wider area. And so um, it's multiple churches within that, that area. And so Paul is writing that, and it's, a, it's an early writing of Paul's, right? And so the church is really just starting to get some traction, is starting to get going. And in the midst of that, you have Jewish believers, and now the Gentile believers are coming in, and they're coming together. And if you know the history at all, those two are about as far apart as they can be, right? They don't like each other. They don't worship together. That's never been part of their faith, right? If you're a Jew and you went to the temple, Gentiles weren't even allowed into the same area. And by the way, neither were women, right? There were separate sections in the temple, to worship. And the Gentiles, again, would have to become Jewish in order to worship at the temple. And so now, moving forward, Paul is bringing these groups together, these churches, and guess what? There's some conflict, right? And there's some false teachers that have entered in. And remember, we spent a little time going back to uh, the book of Acts, right? The Jerusalem Council to look at what was the, the major stumbling block, right? And one of the things that they were putting on the Gentiles is they would have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. That's not true, right? That's, that's not what it is to be a believer. And so there's this great debate, and that comes out of that council, and Paul's teaching is that's no longer a requirement for the Gentiles, right? And this helps him bind them together. Well, Paul is continuing on that same argument, and when we got to chapter 3, we see there's another issue that's arisen as well. Not only the, the circumcision part, but there's the part about the law. And if you were with us last week, right, I asked for a confession. Who sped on the way here, right? Who went over the speed limit? How about this morning? If you're visiting with us, we do interactive, and so, yes, PJ... surprisingly, yeah. I did not ride with her this morning. I brought my own truck. And David, did we speed? David, yes, we did. All right. That would be another sin. That would be lying. So. I heard the you heard the sarcasm? Yes. Paul uses that as well, so I'm always in good company. But again, we talked about the law, right? And that's going to be the theme here for the next chapter. And all of chapter three is the law, right? The law had a purpose, it had a time, but it, it had a specific purpose. It was not to continue on. There was an ending. There was a completion of the law with Jesus. 
And so that's Paul's argument here. And last week, at the very end, we talked about Abraham, right? And if you remember, I said Abraham was a key component. There was a very good reason why Paul used Abraham, right? And Abraham is going to be a, the, the main theme in our topic this morning. But what's the difference between Abraham and the law? Right? What's the big difference? Was the law before Abraham or was the law after Abraham? After, much after, right? Right? Yet Abraham is considered righteous, right? He's a man of faith. In fact, that's why we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want, turn over there with me or Ike, as he does, and he's so good about that, we'll put it up on the big screen. And we're just going to look at it briefly. We're not going to dive into all of it, but it just gives you an idea of what God sees as important, right? And it's important to our salvation, and it's important for our faith today. Verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not, not made out of what is visible, right? Creation. Talking about creation there, right? And it gives you an idea of faith. And so drop down, because again, we want to focus on Abraham this morning. Let's see, where did I drop next verse? Eight. I dropped all the way down to eight. I actually wanted to read six. Like, sorry about that. But let me just read it. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's a key verse to that passage. And again, if you haven't read Hebrews chapter 11 in a while, I'd encourage you to go back there. But take a good, strong look at verse 6. 6 is key to our faith and where we are today. But again, it establishes that relationship with God, right? And, and seeking after God. Verse 8. To Abraham, as I promised. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in, in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him for the same architects. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good his, as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. Notice what it doesn't say, Right? doesn't say by law, right? Abraham did this. It doesn't say by law that he went and did those things, right? It's by faith. And that's key because that faith part is what we are under today, right? We, we live by faith. We take faith in Jesus Christ, right? Again, the law had a purpose, but it doesn't supersede our faith. And believe it or not, even today, there are some who want to go back to the law. We spent a little bit of time, but we'll see that argument come full circle today when we look at this passage, that the law does not save us, right? 
we can't keep the law. We proved it that we can't even keep the speed limit, right? Some people can't even tell the truth, David. I'm just kidding, David. I'm pulling you out. But thank you for being gracious and trying to cover for me. But no, I, I know I creeped over it more than once, even in that short distance. But the law and faith need to be separated. Again, when you put those two together and try to blend that into today, in the church age that we're in, it becomes very problematic. In fact, we have a name for it. We call them legalists, right? And again, having the law is not bad if we follow it ourselves, but the problem is, as humans, what do we tend to do with the law? We tend to look at others. We judge others with it, right? We can be honest, right? And we're always trying to prop ourselves up his neck to... His neck is what I like to say. That's a Charlieism. You don't have to, right? But we'll, we'll stand on anybody else's neck to, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? Or I don't do this sin, but I got my own list, but that's all right. My list is okay. Your list is the one that's bad. No. But that's the truth, right? And so that's where the problem came. And Jesus had that same problem when he was here, right? The Pharisees were always using the law against him. And Paul sees this happening, and he's like, whoa, 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 no, no, let's not, let's not do this again. Let's not do this in the church. And so verse 15 picks up that. And that's a lot of background, but it'll help you as we go through these next sections um, in what's to come. It says, brothers and sisters, all right? He's speaking to this, these churches, right? Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so, is it, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say to the seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is in Christ. Again, making that clear distinction, right? The, the covenant that God made with Abraham, right? God made that to him. That was a promise, right? Just because the law comes later on, the law doesn't negate the promise that God made in the beginning. In fact, they're two very different covenants, and they have different meanings and different backgrounds. Not diving too deep, but again, that's why we need to have a good understanding of the Old Testament, because it helps us, obviously, when we get to the New Testament. But he's talking about those covenants. Again, if you want to go back to Genesis and read that, start around chapter 12 and read through, and you'll, you'll see that Abrahamic covenant that he makes, the promise that he makes to not only Abraham, but all his descendants to follow. Again, that covenant is still part of today. But the law came afterwards. We see that here, right? That one in Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away the promise, right? God had a purpose for using the law but it came after the promise, but it didn't negate the promise, if that makes sense. Hopefully, I made that clear. I didn't muddy the waters, but, right? God still is going to keep his promise. If God promises, he keeps his promises. The law didn't do away with that. But the law did have a purpose, and we'll see that here. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise, right? Pulling those apart, right? 
The law had a purpose, and it's helpful, but again, it doesn't negate the promise that God made. Thank goodness, right? Because like I said, we can't live under that law. We can't live up to it. And where that comes into play today is because quite often, unfortunately, the, the legalists come in, but also there's this, this notion that we have to do things ourselves in order to earn our faith. Works, right? You know, I, I don't know if you've heard it or not, but it's been evangelizing. You know, you ask someone, hey, do you, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? And, and they say, well, I hope to get to the pearly gates, and I'm standing there, and hopefully I've done enough good things, right, to outweigh my bad things, and there's this magical scale, and, and if that works, that's by works. That's not by faith, right? And Paul is very strongly saying that our faith is attached to Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ, right? Things change. That promise is only given to believers. You say, wow, this is kind of deep, Pastor Charlie. This is kind of doctrinal. This is kind of like 101. Well, again, in that early church, they needed 101, right? We need 101. We need that reminder sometimes. Reminded of that. Like I said, our tendency is to take the law and use it against someone else. That's not our faith. Or we put a stumbling block in someone coming to Christ, Right? Well, if you start doing these things, then you can become a believer. Be very, very careful, right? Don't add to or take away from the gospel. Verse 19, it says, why then was the law given? Right? Good question, right? right? If we're saved by faith, then, then why, why the law? Why, why did they need it? Next sentence explains it. It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to the whom the promise referred to had come, right? Until Christ, they needed the, the law. They needed the rules, right? They needed the help. That's what Paul's argument here is, is the law had a purpose. It helped them live in community. It helped them remind them that they would need to rely on God. It helped them to realize that they are a sinner, Right? does that today, right? When we read back through those, we realize pretty quick that in some way we have sinned and we need a Savior. It's a reminder, that reflection of our wrongdoing. But the answer is in Christ, right? It's not going to a temple. It's not sacrificing an animal. It's not, no, that's been done away with. That's been settled with Christ. It says, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Spent a lot of time on that verse. I'm not going to for the sake of time this morning, but if you want to do a good study, that's a great study, right? The triune God that we serve, the different roles. Again, you can spend some time on that. This verse is one of many. It would be a great Bible study if you want to take that on as well. Verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? You know, Paul's trying to answer all these questions, all these things that are coming up. He's trying to answer them ahead of time, right? And so that's why it's kind of this back and forth. But Paul is, is, is laying out the, the basis for if someone says these. And so these questions come up, and Paul's going to answer them. And so he says, is the law opposed to the promises? Absolutely not, right? Not opposed, right? but it doesn't replace the promise. It's not opposed to it, right? Following the law is good for us, right? 
If we never speed, we don't ever have to worry about getting a speeding ticket, right? Or being pulled over, right? The law has a purpose. It can be helpful in our walk, but it's not our salvation. It says, for if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Our salvation comes through Christ, believing on him and what he did on the cross for our sake. So that's the, the basis for our faith. It's not because of the law. Verse 23 says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. If, if we're locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. And what he means here is we, if, if we're living under the law system, right, we're, we're kind of entrapped, we're, we're boxed in, right? We, it's hard to live life because you're always worried about breaking a rule. I know in, in discipline and in, in any program or anything that we do, if we need some discipline, right, we, we have a list of rules, and, and those are good. They confine us, right? But eventually, we, we want to get to the point where we don't need to be reminded of the rules. We just know that we live that way. But we're bound under it, right? If you put yourself under someone, if you go to work, right, there's a list of rules of things you can do at work and things that you can't, right? It's not as free as when you're out on the golf course, say, right? It's different. Or fishing. But even fishing has rules, right? And yes, there's even rules in golf as well. I've broken some of those, but uh, we have pastor's rules for when we play, so no, kidding, I'm just kidding, right? But the, the law and the rules bind us. And remember, the, the Jews, I told you, were up to like 600 and probably still adding and, and again, still interpreting even what they had to go even further. So it became more and more confining. They were going beyond even the law itself. But we have freedom, right? We have freedom in Christ. But not so free, right? There's a limit to that, that grace. But we're not there. We're still focusing on these two and pulling these two apart this morning. So verse 24 says, So the law was a guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under its guardian, Right? We're no longer under law, as Paul's saying. Paul's making that declaration here. He's summing up his whole argument up to this point. We're no longer under that, right? Christ has come, and we live by faith. And in some ways, I could say now, looking back on it, some ways it's actually a little bit harder, right? In some ways it's quite hard, right? Because now we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us, right? Convicts us quite often of things that are not even in the law. Or our laws allow things that God says are, are wrong, right? There are some freedoms we have in the law, even today in America, that go beyond our faith, right? We, we wouldn't say that's okay, right? God doesn't allow us to do that. It's wrong. It, it's a sin. So if you look at it from that perspective, we see the freedom, but we also still have to live under the Holy Spirit and that leading. But it all began with Jesus Christ, right? It changes that. We're no longer under the guardian. We've moved forward. Verse 26, another key verse here. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God 
through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's that key moment of salvation, right? That that moment of salvation, you become a child of God. We we use that term, right? We, We call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ. That's a a key moment, and things change drastically from that point. And they should continue to be changing, right, as we grow in Christ. There's, in Hebrews, I believe it says, about getting off the milk and becoming more mature, right? You you, you start to to grow in your faith. The longer you walk with Christ, you should be growing. It should become easier. Not always, but it should away some of the childish things that we used to do. Verse 28, quite often gets misused, but in the context of what we've been doing here, this will hopefully make sense to you. Verse 28, it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, key verse, but the reason I say that it gets misused is because people want to say, well, we're all equal. Well, no, we still don't change our roles, right? Male and female are still very different, right? Jews and Gentiles are still very different. But our relationship with Christ is the same. We come to Christ the same way, and we live as believers the same. Whether you're a slave or a free man, again, and again, that list could go on and on. And basically, as humans and believers in Christ, we are equal in Christ's eyes, as believers. Now, we have different roles, we have different positions and all that. That's not what Paul's saying here, but he's saying our relationship with Christ is equal. We only come through Christ, to Christ, one way. But it's the same way. And so that's what is an all in Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul is trying to continually bring these churches together. And so part of that unity is seeing that, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're family. And we use those terms, but they have great meaning here. And when you look at scriptures, it's important to realize that. Joe, you're talking about the importance of church and that community, right? That connectedness, right? You know, if you care about your brother and sister in Christ, you, you take care of them. You watch over them. You help them when you can. You provide their needs. You walk alongside them. You reach out. Those are all part of being that family, part of being believers. And so Paul is reiterating that, and he's also trying to prevent that division that's been going on, especially between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now you're believers, you're, you're all one church. I'm not looking at you, and it's the same way. In verse 29 here, as he wraps up, and as we wrap up this morning, it says, if you belong to Christ then... You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, right? Church isn't replacing anything, the church, but we do inherit that, prob- that, that promise, right? And again, Abraham, not Moses, not the law, right? It's through our faith. Our faith is how we enter into that and how we have the possibility even of inheriting that promise, Say, well, all right, Pastor Chai, that's 
well and good. That's a lot this morning, and it's a lot to kind of mull over, but it's kind of a, looks like an old argument, right? It's a, you know, the, there's not a lot of folks here today trying to go back, but as I've mentioned, there is still that out there, that, that problem where there are folks trying to take us back to the law, or trying to inadvertently say, well, if you get cleaned up, then you can be saved, right? They put stumbling blocks on coming to Christ, might even hear the words lordship, right? Lordship salvation is one that's out there, right? When you can give up everything in your life and, be, and work yourself to a point where then you can accept Christ. It's not biblical. It's not part of the teaching here at all. Certainly, I want God to take control, and I want to put everything under him, but that's not a requirement before I came to faith, right? We come to faith broken and as sinners, we need a Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. That's where our salvation is from. Not from our works, not from what we do, but what he did. So, oh, I heard some amens. Thank goodness. I got quiet for a minute. I thought maybe I was off track. So my encouragement this week is, you got some more study to do, some more things to look at. We're going to start chapter 4 next week. But now you have a little understanding of what was going on at the time, but then how do I apply that today? How do I look at that today in that scripture, and what do I do with it? Right? Hopefully it encourages you to share the gospel. I, you know, I, I say that week after week, but I mean it. Uh, share, share often, but be careful how you share it. Don't share it with strings attached. That's a Charlie, again, one of those Charlieisms, and you can take that, but be careful that you share the gospel and the importance of Christ and his work, not our own. We can't earn anything. So just be clear. Right? want you to share, but be clear in how you share. And hopefully that will help you this week as you go about. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we've looked at your word this morning, Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful for the work that you did on the cross. Lord, we're thankful for your word that guides us and helps us so that we know how to live out our daily lives. Lord, we're also thankful for the work that you continue to do in and through each and every one of us. And Lord, I also pray for us here at Pointway, Lord, that we would continually be that family. And as you continue to help us grow in that and to grow in our faith. Lord, may we take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we do good uh, in and amongst the family of God. Lord, may it be evident to those around us. And Lord, give us the opportunities, even this week, to share the good news. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for these folks. In Jesus' name, amen.